This is The Guardian. So crispy can chicken. Jetzt nur bei McDonald's. Der McCrispy Homestyle mit extra crispy chicken. Und neu McCrispy Homestyle Spicy Guacamole. Nur für kurze Zeit. In allen teilnehmenden Restaurants, nicht zu unseren Frühstückszeiten. Hello and welcome to the Guardian Football Weekly. Frank Lampard is, you what now? Going to lead Chelsea out of the Bernabeu in the Champions League quarterfinals? And what, Leicester want Martin O'Neill? Can he still get a tune from Muzzy, is it? What parallel universe is this? I see Barry didn't know that until his eye, his eyebrows were raised. Uh, we'll get to all of that. First off, uh, the football from last night. Some absolutely wonderful defensive lapses from West Ham at home to Newcastle. We take full advantage to go third. Ready the Moyes voice note. It feels impolite for a team near the bottom to keep hold of their manager for a whole season. Manchester United and Marcus Rashford see off Brentford in a forgettable game, but an important victory nonetheless. There's some lionesses to look forward to in the finalissima and a Premier League preview. The games are in two days by which time presumably Doug Livermore Spurs will take on Steve Gritz Brighton and Ian Bramford will attempt Southampton's great escape. All that plus your questions and that's today's Guardian Football Weekly. On the panel today, Robin Cowan, welcome. Good morning, Max. Hello, Barry Glendenning. Hello, Max. And hello, Johnny Lou. Hi, Max. And uh, yeah, we'll get to Frank Lampard going to Chelsea, which seems utterly <laughs> ridiculous, <laughs> but maybe a good idea. I mean, who knows anymore? But let's actually talk about the football that happened last night first. Uh, Newcastle winning 5-1 at West Ham. Manchester United beating Brentford. So Newcastle and Manchester United both go three clear of Spurs uh, in fifth, both with a game in hand as well. West Ham stay 15th, level on points with Everton, Forest, and Bournemouth. They still have a game in hand, uh, but their goal difference was not helped yesterday um normally barry used to congratulate the winning team but west ham's defensive horror show was sort of miraculous yesterday yeah it was crazy the the number of individual errors that led to goals uh just but newcastle did play very well and they're starting to show their strength and depth i think this is their fourth win in a row joe ellington came in for joe willock and was brilliant um scored uh, a couple of nice goals but again individual errors <laughs> that, that's uh, what uh, david moyes must have been just beside himself with rage afterwards in the dressing room at least he managed to contain himself in his post match interviews but um when you were down amongst the dead men as west ham are you just simply cannot afford to give away goals like that it, it was comical. I mean, Lucas Fabianski made a couple of excellent saves, but was also responsible for one, if not two goals. That one where he played the ball to a guard who clearly didn't want it and was was pointing to, uh, I think it was Romero out, you know, wide on the touchline, give it to him instead. And uh, yeah, it, it was comically inept from um, West Ham at times. Robin, I don't know which image I liked more. I, either Moy's face after, you know, Aguirre completely forgot he was on a football pitch, like just after half time, <laughs> just when he got into it, back into it. Or there's this brilliant photo that somebody sent me of 
Alexander Izak and Fabianski both with their hands on their hips, just watching the ball just kind of <laughs> lollop towards the goal. Like it was, I, I, you know, it, it, David Moyes. I mean, I, I, you can't blame him for those mistakes, can you? Or can you? That's a really good question because, I, I mean, ultimately, I think you probably can't. But just, uh, you know, looking at the, especially, you know, Jacob Steinberg's obviously a West Ham fan and he, he's following it. He just, it, from from what I gather, a lot of the fans don't want him there. And I think that atmosphere is probably contributing to some of these errors and just the general performance. And it was a weird game, actually, because they could have scored in the first sort of few seconds, couldn't they? And Gimaraes nearly scored an own goal. And then, as you mentioned, the... They got all momentum back just before half time with Kurt Zuma's goal and probably half time didn't come at a good time. And then all that momentum was just pissed on after like 20 seconds with that. Aguero. I mean, yeah, he was scratching about trying to control the ball. And then that was that. And yeah, that image of he was sort of had his hands on his knees like someone had just kicked him in the nuts. Um, David Moyes. And yeah, and I agree with that. It was very funny seeing him, um, post match. I think it's, it's almost giving himself a stomach ulcer going, the lads gave it everything. <laughs> I can't answer, I'm sure pre that, he was going absolutely bananas at them in the dressing room. Just love to see the sort of before and after that. <laughs> Sorry, I, I just realised I transferred Romero from Spurs to West Ham. I meant Emerson. It was... Right. Oh, noted. Yeah, well, I was like, I can't remember every West Ham player. Maybe there is one called Romero. I don't know. Is, is Moyes' time up? Johnny, what do you reckon? I think so. They're not playing for each other anymore, um, which is this is like the minimum requirement you want from a David Moyes team. I mean, it, it's fine if the, the the attack is a bit gummed up and you know they're struggling for goals, but if if the if if, if the players you know if the kind of the the defence and the midfield aren't really kind of meshing with each other, if if they're not if the players aren't making covering runs, if they're not really cohering at the back, then you really lost the main. Some might say only point of, of having David Moyes as your manager. Uh, some of the some of the defending. I mean, you, you can look at the individual errors, and and obviously they were egregious. But it's, it's the way that players kind of shirked responsibility, and you know, Aguero not wanting the ball is kind of you know why don't you want the ball? And and then you see Declan Rice coming in like a few seconds later than he should be, just going all right. Well, I'll I'll come in and and and, and show for it. And there's there was just, there was so much of that um, markers. Um, passing off, passing off their marker, you know, players passing off their marker to other players, and and not getting, you know, not doubling up. There is so much of that, and I think that that is, you know, you you can't physically blame individual errors on a manager, but the manager certainly creates the tactical and um, and I guess the the emotional uh, circumstances in which those mistakes become a lot more. Um, a lot more likely, and and by way of contrast, I mean I think it is worth saying about about Newcastle. You know they were they were gifted a few goals, but they create that pressure through working for each other, through through covering every inch, and they are you know probably the best pressing team in the Premier League at the moment. I would say um, the way they hunt, the way they hunt down players in a really intelligent way as a team. They press to a certain side of a of a defender, so so they kind of force you into the option you don't want to go to. They were brilliant against United. They weren't quite as on it. Uh, against West Ham, but they didn't have to be. But um, but yeah, like in his in his um sorry in his sabbatical, Eddie Howe went to study. He went to shadow Diego Simeone at um, Atletico Madrid, and you can kind of you really see that influence in the way they play. 
they are absolutely ruthless. Yeah, I mean, you could probably argue West Ham were brilliant for the opening 55 seconds. <laughs> <laughs> they had a chance. They hit the post, yeah, right? Yeah, yeah. I mean, you can't blame Moyes for the individual errors, but you can blame him for the fact that when Newcastle made the pitch really big and they were playing these raking balls, you know, diagonals and through the centre, you can blame him for the fact he had no way of explaining to his players how, how to deal with it because they clearly couldn't. And uh, I suppose that's on him, isn't it? And I suppose so. And it's pretty unfair on Newcastle to say it seemed as if all they had to do was kick it quite a long way and one of their players would be basically clean through or have a one-on-one. But actually some of their play, there was that move, Robin, was there, where Longstaff played that raking pass and it was sort of one touch and I can't remember who got the shot away, maybe Murphy. It does show the level that they're playing at is is incredibly high. Yeah, no, I mean, they, they are really a well-oiled machine and we saw that against Manchester United as well. Um, at the weekend so no they're absolute credit to them but obviously uh I think I feel like they did show a few weaknesses you know again we mentioned the, the opening chance and you know Kurt, Kurt Zuma with with the header you know that perhaps sometimes defensively they, they you know they, do, they have given up chances but in terms of their attacking and as Johnny mentioned they're pretty relentless you know don't give you much time on the ball at all um no, that it was a really good performance, and obviously puts them in a really good position for the Champions League. I just, I just wonder. It seems to be a trend now with West Ham. They clearly don't want to sack him before the end of the season. They, they really don't want to. That's that, that's clear. I just wonder if they give it Nolan till the end of the season. Perhaps I don't know if that's. I mean, I'm not saying that's a good idea, um, but it just seems like, as I said before. There was no one there at the end, was there? They'd all, I mean, understandably, they'd all gone. The boo- and so the boos weren't ringing out because there was no one to boo. And I just, <laughs> I just feel like they, a lot of the fans just, just want him removed. Um, and maybe, maybe just that sort of switch as we'll get on to later with Chelsea, just that sort of a atmosphere yeah. change. Well, it should be, should be Harry Redknapp and Frank Lampard <laughs> yeah, senior, yeah. right? Shouldn't it? And actually I did check to see if West Ham were playing Chelsea again this season to see if the Lampards could face each other in the dugouts. Newcastle's next and? four game, carry on. And they're <laughs> not. They? No, no, sadly oh, they're not. Okay, don't want it then. Don't bother. <laughs> Newcastle's next four games are, they've got Brentford away, Villa away, Spurs at home, Everton away. You sort of feel they could win all of them, Johnny. Or they could lose all of them. It's very hard. I mean, the bottom of the table is obviously impossible to pick. But also that race for the top four, and I know now them and Man United are, you know, a, a little bit of leeway between them and Spurs, but impossible to call. Yeah, and, and they don't they don't have the distraction of, uh, unlike United, they don't have the distraction of uh, the the Europa League or, or the FA Cup. These are you know they can literally treat these as you know nine or ten cup finals, um, and there is there is a momentum to them now. I think. Um, they had a. There were questions, I think, after the the Carabao Cup final whether they'd kind of run out of puff a little bit. Um, but the international break has come at a at a really good time for them. They seem to have got back on the training pitch, got a bit got a bit more energy, got a you know a bit more spark, and and yeah, the, the fixtures are are quite kind to them. I don't think they should treat the 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 remaining fixtures as nine cup finals, <laughs> given the way they played. <laughs> the <actual cup> <laughs> <laughs> they got to. <laughs> That's a very good point. Uh, meanwhile, Manchester United beat Brentford 1-0. Barry, not a huge amount to say about this game, apart from it's a really good win for Manchester United. And it's not about performances, it's about results now, isn't it? 
Yeah, I mean, they were humiliated in the corresponding fixture. It was the second game of the season, and when they lost 4-0, Brentford scored four times in the first half. Uh, so I suppose it's payback for that. They, it was a very comfortable 1-0 win. They didn't really have to get out of second gear, did they? And I think Brentford only created one decent chance, which wasn't even that good a chance. And I, I expected more for Brentford, if I'm honest, but it wasn't one of their better performances. And they deservedly lost. And there's, there's uh, you know, reading stuff this morning that Manchester United are a little over-reliant on Marcus Rashford, but I suppose as long as he's banging them in, and he is, it's 28 for the season for him now, 10 of them winners, uh, That that's not going to be a problem. Hmm. Although his first in the league since the 19th of February, which surprised all of us. I thought he'd been scoring like two a game. But yeah, when he doesn't score, they don't tend to do as well. I don't know, Robin, if you have any other further fascinating thoughts on this game. I I didn't find it gripping. Uh, good, good goal, wasn't it, Barry? That's the only thing I'd say uh, from Rashford. I mean, he just looked—he looked so much more relaxed in front of goal. Like I could see him a couple of years ago, sort of snatching at that and putting it over the bar. It was quite, a, quite an, um, a very good finish again from him. Yeah, and Sabitz has set out well, and he actually played a really good game. And I go, you know, this whole kind of Casemiro-like hole um, was a sort of strong performance from him, and, and probably needed wasn't it um otherwise that'll do for uh, the Manchester United Brentford game oh yes Barry you, you can come in I was just going to say that I, I thought before this game Brentford might score by capitalizing on a David De Gea because I thought they would put him under pressure and they almost scored from a David De Gea error when he he took a kick out that cannoned off Ivan Tony but didn't go the right side of the, the bar or upright uh, yeah all right, that'll do for part one. Part two uh, will be a Premier League preview, but be mostly about Frank Lampard. Welcome to part two of the Guardian Football Weekly. Um, Dermot says, how does Lampard keep failing upwards? There hasn't been as much rubbish about DNA since Jurassic Park. Uh, Kenny says... Do we hope Lampard does just well enough to be offered a four-year contract and then get sacked 10 games into next season when it inevitably goes to shit? Mr. Leonard says, Frank Lampard is, is the anti-Potter. The new players will all know who he is. We all know he's tactically weak. He will tell each player to win their individual battles and after the game, blame the players for not achieving the required result. And Andy says, uh, excuse the language, if Lampard wins the Champions League, I'm never watching another single second of this stupid fucking sport. Is that pathetic? <laughs> Um, so, yeah, uh, Chelsea have opened talks with Frank Lampard over a stunning return, writes Jacob Steinberg, as interim manager as they continue their search for a permanent replacement for Graham Potter. This feels odd, Johnny. Yeah, I mean, it's the, you know, on one on one level, it's the, the logical conclusion of the Premier League's 2020s banter era. This is, you know, it's like a, like a Marvel comic book, right, which where all the storylines essentially... Um, you know, cross over and cross pollinate and regenerate. And yeah, Frank Lampard back at Chelsea. Why not? Why fucking not? Um, <laughs> the, I mean, the thing is, um, you know, it is funny, but also it is kind of, it really kind of sucks if you think about it. And like Troy, Troy Townsend made, you know, made a, he, he, he did a tweet last night about, uh, well, it was kind of, it was kind of cryptic, but the, the gist of it being is, is this really how, 
like massive coaching jobs, albeit interim, are, are being given out at the very top of the game these days. You know, Troy has done so much good work on trying to educate people about the, the structural flaws, the structural injustices in the game. And uh, without wishing to single out Frank Lampard on every occasion, it, it is fair to single out Frank Lampard on this occasion, because if Frank Lampard is just being given, handed a, you know, a job at a, a Champions League club uh, for now, on on the basis of, you know, what seems to be very little due process, very little kind of, you know, recruitment, uh, you know, recruitment process, that is kind of the problem. That is a, a massive, massive problem in the game. And you can see why people like Troy and others kind of despair of getting a, a, a more kind of meritocratic, diverse pool of talent into the top reaches of the game when things like this are happening. Can we simultaneously agree with all of that and also find it hilarious that Frank Lampard has got another go at managing Chelsea? Yeah, if you want. I mean, I, it, is, it is kind of funny. It, it, no, it, it, uh, is, yeah. it is funny. <laughs> but like, say he, say he wins the Champions League out from that opportunity, which he probably hasn't earned through merit. Um, what, what, what could somebody else have done with that? What could somebody else have done with that, you know, have that, with that opportunity? Yeah, it's a, it's a very good point. Uh, Matt Law from The Telegraph tweeting uh, Frank Lampard due into Cobham later this morning with the expectation he'll take the first training session as caretaker manager later on. I mean, that is a really good point, Barry. Like, Chelsea could win the Champions League, right? And then what happens? I mean, I suppose they've won the Champions League. They've, they've done it before. Does that mean he stays? Yeah, well, I suppose following on from what Johnny was saying, they've handed him this job, which he doesn't really appear to deserve on merit so they can focus on this exhaustive recruitment process we keep hearing about. But they've all just sacked a manager who is demonstrably better at managing football teams than Frank Lampard. And now they've brought in a manager who has previously been sacked by Chelsea and then who went on to be sacked by Everton, who are a demonstrably less successful football club than than. Chelsea but so it, it doesn't make sense and it's quite amusing but I suppose there, how much damage can he do in a quite limited space of time and yes he could win the Champions League and then you know that's happened before at Chelsea Roberto Di Matteo that didn't mean he, he automatically got to keep the job they still got rid of him yeah I think he carried on for a bit yeah he, he carried on for a few months Oh, did he? Right. Oh, I apologise. Um, my mistake. But um, I don't think he will win the Champions League, let's say. <laughs> no, they haven't got the easiest draw, have they? I mean, Luis Enrique and Julian Nagelsmann are unattached and available. So couldn't they, if they wanted one of them, Robin, they just keep interviewing them for months. I also heard they, <laughs> yes. they, 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 they're they checking out what Antonio Conte thinks. I mean, that's... Lampard for 10 games and then Conte. And you're like, this can't be real. Is this, what, what is this? Yeah. What year is this, yeah. young boy? <laughs> I, I know. It's, um, yeah, I, I, I agree with Johnny. I mean, it, it, yeah, I, I think with the caveat that all of what Johnny just said is absolutely true. And it is, it's really frustrating that there are so many coaches out there that are more deserving. It is hilarious. And the fact that Conte, after, <laughs> you know, his explosive exit from Spurs, 
and the fact that it really ended sourly the first time at Chelsea, that, that he's even been considered. It's like they're not really casting their net very far. I do wonder, I, I do wonder perhaps, you know, a Nagelsmann or a Luis Enrique have said that maybe they don't want to take over now. They prefer to do it in the summer. So that's why they've gone for the interim option. But yeah, he's, uh, it, you know, people are saying this is a PR win for the fans. He's going to be welcomed back. Is that true? I mean, it might be. I don't, I'm not a Chelsea fan, so I don't know. Is this, is, is it, is it as simple as, an, as sort of rudimental as that? That, it, you know, he's going to be, you know, clapped when he gets back to Stamford Bridge and that, that will make a difference? I don't know. I think, no, I think, I think they will. I think they will welcome him. Yeah. As long as he's, you know, like, like, um, Solskjaer at, at United, they did, they did kind of welcome him in. As a, as a club legend, you know, he, he will always be welcomed back at the bridge. Uh, he was, he was there at, at the weekend, wasn't he? Um, just sort of l- lurking. Yeah, but Solskjaer wouldn't be welcomed back. No, if Ten Hag said I'm off, would Solskjaer be welcomed back again? Like that, I mean, that's the point. Lampard, Lampard had the DNA and had the fans on side and still failed as the Chelsea manager. And they've gone, well, this is, this, it was kind of proof of concept. It was like it disproved the concept that DNA made the difference and knowing the club and, you know, already knowing the Wi-Fi code and where the toilets are actually has any, like, material benefit to you apart from the fans it like you. It wasn't an unmitigated thing. You know, it gives it you a bit... Like, they, they were, they were no, miserable for true. about... They, they, they were miserable for about 10, 12 games, but actually they started that season quite well. The, 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 they went through this incredible period of, like, not conceding... Um, and and in, in his first season, they had quite a lot of fun. So I mean, there there are some there there are some things to cling on to there. The way he develops, you know, young players like um like Mason Mount, Fukuyo Tomori, uh, you know, there there, there is a, a little bit of a legacy for for the fans at least to to, to cling on to there. So you know, as long as he's if it's just ten games, I think I think they'll buy they'll buy that. Oliver says uh, Everton managers failing upwards. Martinez sacked, then to Belgium. Kuman sacked, then to Barcelona. Lampard sacked, back to Chelsea. Who will Dice go on to manage when he's eventually sacked next January? Madrid, PSG. <laughs> uh, they're playing Wolves. Worth pointing out that that uh, Daniel Pedenza has been charged uh, by the FA after he allegedly spat at Brennan Johnson uh, during uh, the one-all draw with Forest. And um, we don't need to go into. We did spend 15 minutes on on Monday talking about imaginary saliva. We can probably avoid going into that. Uh, Leicester-Bournemouth is a massive game at the bottom. Leicester rumoured to be looking at bringing in Martin O'Neill. <laughs> what, that, what is going on, Robin? Again, I, I ask, what year is this? <laughs> he's the, when was his last job? Was it a fa- he, fa- he had a pretty miserable time at Forest, didn't he, with Roy Keane? Is, is that what... I, I, I was just trying to think what is Forest. Forest. Since then he's been Was that Forest or Villa? Or both? Villa was some um, two thousand and six to two thousand and ten. And then I think he went to Forest and it was it was during yeah, it was during their time where they kept sacking managers and it didn't work out. And they they thought old oh, club legends will bring them back. Yeah, since then he's been doing the rounds promoting a book. So maybe that's got of I don't know, um flagged up his availability. But I mean just... Do you think it's like Roy Hodgson going back made people think, oh, we could just, you know, here's an easy way to find somebody. Just look, check who has managed your club before and just give it to them. I mean, maybe Martin O'Neill won't get the job. It's, I mean, and he's like, he could be good, right? What do they need? What do they need? Two, three wins, Barry? Like Martin O'Neill's got that kind of energy about him, or at least he did in 1995. <laughs> <laughs> Well, I don't know how much energy he has now, but yeah, I do remember him doing the rounds promoting his book and his series of very entertaining 
interviews. I, I quite like Martin O'Neill. Um, it's, it just reminds me of, you know, that managerial merry-go-round of yore, which is probably covered in a tarpaulin at the back of some fairground now with Mickey Adams and Steve Bruce and David O'Leary and Martin O'Neill all you know, clinging to their <laughs> rusting horses and elephants and cup and saucer. <laughs> I mean, very, very not fair on Alan Kerbishley to not not even get a mention on the uh, on that merry-go-round. Oh yeah, sorry, sorry, Kerbs. Yeah, look, it's, just, it's all just nuts. It, it's really gone nuts. But yeah, he could do well. He, it could be a disaster. We we don't know, but fingers crossed, we get to find out. Well, he's he's a, he's, he's a big crime buff, isn't he, um, O'Neill? You know, he, he yes, studied true. You know, true true crime and and you know what's what's the first rule of you know criminology the perpetrator always returns to the scene of their their original <laughs> crime um but also i don't i don't know why you would want to uh, a load of players who you've been signed for to play brendan rogers football to be managed by martin o'neill for 10 minutes uh let alone 10 games what would be funny is if he took the Leicester job and then got poached by Forrest after two games. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, yeah. But, I mean, uh, you know, that is also... Like, Leicester-Bournemouth is, a, is such a huge game, Robin, isn't it? I mean, I don't know if, if they'll have a new interim manager, a manager, Martin Neal, someone else, Dave Bassett <laughs> by that time. Um, but, uh, but they absolutely have to win that. Game. Yeah, I mean, it's. Do they have to win? Do they have to win? Well, I don't know if no, anyone they... has to win it because you have to win next week if you don't win this week. No, that's the thing. This is what's crazy about this relegation battle is you don't have to win because even Southampton have a chance of getting out of it. It's it's just mad. You don't you don't have to put a run of results together. You just don't. It might just be whoever wins on the last day, and it's like, yeah, sort of musical chairs. Who's not? Who doesn't grab a chair at the end of the season? It's just. So actually, it, it's you just got to stay in touching distance because they all keep losing. They all are. So maybe I mean they don't they don't really have to win, but I would say they're in a, I mean, they're in a really bad situation, Leicester. And this could be, you know, the the fact that they're on this run is, it, it's really not working. And uh, I think did they ask Graham Potter to manage them like, basically minutes after they sacked Brendan Rodgers. I mean, yeah, it's just, it's just like a lot of these situations. It doesn't seem to be a lot of long-term planning going on and sort of oh, mapping out what could happen situationally, things like that. So is, is it quite reassuring that all these incredibly rich people also, a lot sort of like the rest of us, don't actually really know what they're ever really doing and it just sort of happens to, you know, just have to make some like you know I don't have to make any of these massive decisions right so like I I'm like maybe it's maybe it's hard right maybe we should give them a break it's difficult and there's no sort of rhyme or reason to getting it right I guess there are a few that that have a, a better record at getting it right don't they um Dr Joseph Venglosh's Aston Villa uh, take on Nottingham <laughs> take on Nottingham Forest Kapanosti says have Nottingham Forest Frank Clark's Nottingham Forest, uh, Frank Clark's Nottingham Forest. yeah no I'm, of course, have Nottingham Forest redefined the dreaded vote of confidence. Steve Cooper's uh, got his second vote of confidence in a season, hasn't he? Um, the owners made a statement. Yes, Barry? Well, I, I looked for any sign of 
confidence in that statement and it was conspicuously absent all it said was he is still our manager and we need to start winning games it didn't say we are confident he will start winning no. games no one denies that our club is in a difficult position in the Premier League, but we wish to end the speculation and false and disruptive reporting in the media to confirm that Steve Cooper remains our manager at Nottingham Forest. We have all been disappointed with recent performances, and it is very clear that a lot of hard work needs to be done to address this urgently. Um, they've got not, not much confidence <laughs> there, is there? <laughs> you, you don't get. I don't think you get any extra credit for that because clearly they, they were they were really kind of um, you know. They were, they were touting the idea of getting rid of Cooper. They was they were circulating it, and and obviously then to, to blame this kind of false speculation is a little bit rich. You know, like you know, famously Boris Johnson had these two like articles written, one one backing Brexit, and and it feels like Forrest had one letter saying like one statement saying we're getting you know with with regret we, we we're parting company with Steve Cooper, another one saying we fully back Steve Cooper, and they just decided to put one of them out. And all the, all the fans are going, oh, great, fantastic. You don't get any extra credit for that, I'm afraid. Do you think they, what if they accidentally wanted to sack him and they put the wrong one out? And now they're like, <laughs> yeah, oh, yeah. oh, oh, no, we've got to stick with him now. Um, Leeds Palace, also big at the bottom. Palace, uh, Ed Aaron saying, have been 12th for 105 days now, which is tremendous. <laughs> this is really actually hard to stay in 12th. It's almost harder to stay 12th for 105 days than it is to stay top for 105 days, I, I would have thought. Um, Liverpool Arsenal is a, is a, well, it, it, you sort of feel like this is a tough game for Arsenal, Robin, but I don't know if it is. Um, Liverpool are different at home. Um, they, they do have, you know, they are better, but, um, I still would still be surprised if Arsenal don't win, given the, just the absolute state, mentally in particular, Liverpool are in. I mean, <laughs> Jurgen Klopp saying, why am I still here <laughs> when everyone's being sacked around me is quite telling, I think. In terms of sort of momentum and where each team is, it's night and day. So I'd be, yeah, I'd be very surprised if Liverpool get anything out of this. But then, I mean, they beat, how did they beat Man United? Was it 7 0? 7 0. Yeah. What, how did that happen? I, I just have no don't, idea. I, that was like a fever dream. I mean, yeah, this, this sort of second half of the season, I think we all said like it was going to be, you know, maybe some weird things going to happen because of the mid, you know, the break World Cup. And yeah. It's sort of coming to pass a little bit. True. I mean, I understand why players are tired, but owners don't need to be tired. <laughs> the World Cup. Oh, um, another game. <laughs> yeah. um, Everton go to Manchester United. Um, obviously got that good point on uh, Monday night. Um, Spurs play Brighton. Osh says, with Spurs now finally not fourth, are we about to see the crumbling of civilization as we know it? I think as long as Crystal Palace stay 12th and we we should be all right who have we forgotten southampton manchester city can you see southampton getting anything barry no um absolutely not which means they probably will some gate receipts (laughs) (laughs) it is something isn't it anyway well we'll look back at all those games on uh, monday and uh, that'll do for part two part three Uh, we'll start with the lionesses Welcome to part three of the Guardian Football Weekly. Uh, Robin, you're heading to the Finalissima this mm. evening. Do we like the name? Sounds like a sort of Eurovision entry to me or something like that. But yeah, I quite like saying it. Okay, well, that's good. Well, it's lucky you're, you're commentating, <laughs> I presume, so you get to say it. Yeah, on the world feed. So I have to be particularly non-partisan 
Um, but I think that'll be quite easy because it's going to be a good game. It's um, Brazil are missing a couple of big players like Marta um, is injured, Dabinia, who's um, who's their main goal scorer. Um, but yeah, in terms of opposition, they had very easy opposition in England at the Arnold Clark Cup and they swept them aside. So this is the last camp before Serena Wiegmann selects her World Cup squad. So it's quite a big set of fixtures. So they've got yeah Brazil tonight and then Australia uh, next week at uh, at Brentford. So yeah, two two teams that are kind of will be hoping to go far in the World Cup. So yeah, should be interesting to see what she does. I mean, I know Marta's a, an absolute legend. Is he still a, a definite starter for Brazil? I mean, she, I know she's played about a million games. Mm, yeah, I mean, we're not we're not into Cristiano Ronaldo territory because she actually still contributes quite a lot. Um, <laughs> uh, but yeah, she's she's come back from an ACL and just uh, it's not it's not. She's just sort of got a hamstring injury, I think, or something like that. So she'll she'll be playing at the World Cup. No, she's she's still, you know, scores loads of goals for them and plays at a good level in in America in the NWSL. So if she's fit, she would she would start. I mean, in terms of England, how many fringe players? You know, for how many players is this a make or break couple of games? Would you say? Yeah, quite a few. It's interesting because obviously Serena Wiegmann famously didn't change her starting eleven during the Euros at all. And she did say yesterday that she's not going to experiment that much. So I think when we see the starting lineup today, this it could be very similar to what we see the opening game in Australia. The big player they're missing is Millie Bright, who uh, who injured herself in Chelsea's first leg of their Champions League um, win against Lyon. So I think we're all hoping that she's going to be okay for, for the World Cup because she... Her and Leah Williamson just were absolutely titanic at the back together. They complemented each other so well because Williamson's just a terrific ball player and bright. Even though she, you know, she can uh, she can pull off some uh, great crossfield balls as well. She is she's the brawn. She was a uh, you know really really key to success. So yeah, she would be a huge miss. So yeah, that's again going to be interesting to see what Serena Beekman does with that today. Just on that Chelsea Leon game, which was an insane end to that mm. game, am I the only person who thought that penalty was incredibly soft? No, you're not. No, it was like like it, <laughs> like it, that is not clear and obvious. I mean, for people who haven't seen it, basically Chelsea are two nil down in uh, to, to Leon. They're going out of the Champions League, and in injury time, in extra time, Lauren James goes down, kicks her own feet. She's slightly touched by a Leon defender, but it. I just don't think in any world it's a penalty and it goes to VAR and it's given and I I just couldn't believe and I just couldn't believe it and I don't know I don't know if I don't know what Emma Hayes said after the game I don't know she said well you get sometimes well I don't know what she said I don't need to pretend <laughs> to, 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 to know what she said and I don't know what the Leon she was uh, very angry <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah I mean I, I you say not in any world but we we do see them quite a lot actually I, I feel morally, I agree with you. I don't like those being given as penalties, but they are given quite a lot uh, every week in the Premier League. There's an interesting point there, where, where uh, it's, it's often said that you know crowds have a, have a massive influence, you know, on on those sorts of decisions. You know, there's all these sort of studies done on on how referees are influenced by crowds, and you know, there, there, there would be a long time uh, in women's football when it, it kind of wasn't a factor, but. The fact that you know you are now getting crowds that are, are loud enough and big enough and partisan enough to influence a referee is is, is weirdly kind of shows 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 how far it's come. 
Yeah. Anyway, um, good luck to Chelsea and Arsenal, uh, who both got through, didn't they? Um, Romain Lukaku uh, says Serie A must take action for real this time after he was racially abused by Juventus fans before being sent off on Tuesday. He was shown a, sec- shown a second yellow card for holding his fingers to his lips in front of the home fans after scoring a 95th minute penalty in the Coppa Italia. Uh, history repeats itself, he wrote on Instagram, been through it in 2019 and 2023 again. This beautiful game should be enjoyed by everyone. He added, I hope the league really take actions for real this time. Juve said uh, they would work with police to identify those responsible following the game. Um, uh, On to any other business. Rob says, does Barry know where Avram Grant is managing now? And it's not Chelsea, by the way. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, Not a clue, no. Zambia. There we are. So uh, I would have been mightily impressed had you got that. Zvonimir says, uh, NBA player Reggie Bullock has bought a five-acre island in Belize and he's turning it into a resort called Bullock Island. Uh, Which Premier League player would build the best resort island? The sort of question perhaps I should have forewarned you with. Uh, But which five-acre island? Would you like to go to Vardy Land, Barry? Crikey. Um... (laughs) I could imagine that being quite full-on. Grealish, it'd have like the all you all yes. you can eat Chinese. That's true. Um, It'd be quite a party. Mm. I, I don't know. I'd, I'd visit Thomas Socek Island, which would just be be kind of impeccably maintained. It would be be on spectacular. Yeah. There would just be lots of wood around. You know, lots lots of wood structures <laughs> and uh, an outdoorsy kind of activities. Let's congratulate Jim, uh, who sent us a lovely photo of his newborn uh, son, Audrin Lynch. Uh, getting this little fella hooked up to Football Weekly early, possibly the youngest pod listener. Um, I don't know how many minutes or days old Odron is, uh, but he was fast asleep listening to this pod. So, <laughs> like many others, I would suggest. Uh, uh, but look, congratulations to you and uh, thanks for trying to force him. It's a bit like being forced to support a football team, isn't it? He has no choice in the matter currently, uh, but it won't be long until he is turning off every screen and tablet that you have. Uh, Thanks so much uh, for your time today, everybody. Thanks, Robin. Thanks, Max. Thank you, Johnny. Thanks for having me. Thanks, Barry. Thanks, Max. Football Weekly is produced by Joel Grove. Our executive producer is Danielle Stevens. This is The Guardian.